0: Welcome to cruxcast whether you're in your car at work or at home we hope you enjoy this interview and if you do you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com so please subscribe caught up earlier with Danna Flackerty CEO of Mavericks metals Lason TSX and NYse um, we talked to him uh, about how 2020 went for him plans for 2021 portfolio size. Uh, what's important to him? What should be important to investors? If you want our thoughts and opinions on the conversation, you can find that at crossinvestor.com forward slash club, where you can also find detailed company reports and analysis. There are commentaries from experts from around the world on a variety of companies' commodities, including royalties, which you might find insightful. We've got training courses uh, on there for help you with your diligence process. We've got summaries of other interviews that we've done just to save you some time because we know you're busy. And if you want to join a thriving community of investors sharing their thoughts and ideas with each other, you in a nice, friendly, and safe environment, free from abuse, trolling, and judgment. Go and join the at TrucksInvestor.com. forward slash club. Dan, how are you doing, sir? Very good, yourself. Not too bad. Long time since we spoke. How Have you been keeping very good? Thank you for uh, for having Mavericks on today. Well, it's okay. The um, thing we caught up with um, Ryan back in August last year, so it's about time we we caught up to see what you've been up to. Um, Tell you what, why don't you kick off? Give us a one-minute overview of the business, and I'll pick up with some questions from there.
1: The high-level company snapshot is that we're a precious metals royalty and streaming company. We currently have a market capitalization of approximately seven hundred million US, with a portfolio of over one hundred and fifteen precious metals royalties and streams. Thirteen of those are currently
0: cash flowing at very strong cash flow margins. Okay, fine. Well, if I if I look at your performance, obviously you've had a it's been a good couple of years. For you guys, and up, mm-hmm. up over a seven hundred million market cap, but it's. Do you feel the market has just flattened out a bit? We've seen what's happening in precious metals. Are you, are you being affected by that? It's interesting. So we have been a company for just under five years now, and it's been very
1: busy uh, building up the current portfolio that we have. Uh, we are starting to see uh, with the, I guess, the rise in gold price over the past five years. You know, I guess the last month notwithstanding, uh, you know, some new entrants come into the royalty sector. And I think that uh, is driven by investor demand for uh, the royalty and streaming model. Uh, So it has been uh, interesting to see uh,
0: kind of the changes as uh, as we kind of matured as a company ourselves. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was inevitable that this is going to happen since people since the market picked Mm -hmm. up four royalty companies. You're going to get new entrants and new competition. Is that affecting your ability to get good deals? It's, uh, it is interesting. We're,
1: seeing, we're just seeing this now. Uh, so Mavericks is still a, in a very unique size range in terms of a market cap. Uh, we're the only precious metal royalty and streaming company between a market cap of 500 million and a billion dollar uh, US market cap. So there's obviously uh, the larger players that are very established and a number of newer entrants uh, to the market where I guess we diversify or I guess uh, <coughs> differentiate ourselves. Is you know we have a very strong cash flowing base that we've put together over the past five years, and I think that so, I mean, when you compare that with our financial capacity as well, we have 50 million in cash, 120 million dollar credit facility fully undrawn. You know that gives us a, a significant uh, strength relative to, to some of the, the newer entrants, and with respect to the more established players, where we are size range. We still have an ability to meaningfully grow percentage-wise. Where transactions that are achievable will still move the needle and be important for Maverick. So we're still seeing uh, you know opportunities out there. You know they are uh, you know getting a little bit more competition, but uh, you know we're well suited to uh, to participate in uh, future transactions.
0: Okay, so I do want to talk about the company in a second, but I wouldn't want your view of the macro at the moment because let's face it, with the amount of quantitative of easing, the amount of debt out there, people's expectation at the end of last year, Gold would take off and go to the moon, I think the phrase is the most overheard <laughs> phrase I heard last year. Um, yeah. it hasn't, that hasn't been the case. It's The market's performing in very unexpected yeah. ways, and I can listen to experts from both sides of that argument beautifully articulate why that is the case, but it seems to me no one knows what's going on at the moment.
1: It seems there's been a little bit of a disconnect between the gold price and the gold equities uh, with where some of the, the gold equities are che- trading relatively cheaply with the, the cash flow that they're generating at these still very high gold prices despite the, the very recent pullback um, you know we see that as a huge opportunity because we very much believe in the long-term um, you know macro for gold uh, and once that uh, ultimately gets deployed into the equities we think we can see uh, some pretty significant moves uh, kind of in the future here.
0: But, but what's happening in the in the market with the I say gold prices come off the equities are doing okay because at these prices people are still making money but what happened to gold 2000 gold 3000
1: oh well, we're still uh, we'll, we're still believers like, you know a little pullback isn't uh, isn't the most unhealthy thing and uh, building a longer base and continuing to to move up i think is the, the longer term Maverick's view you know, whether it's uh, three months, six months a year, you know, we, we'd have to check our crystal ball <laughs> to see that. But it's, uh, you know, absolutely believe in the longer term macro uh, of gold. And you, know, you see kind of the, these higher gold prices and people are excited, projects look better economically. Uh, but as you just mentioned, kind of the equity window isn't completely wide open. Uh, and that actually is still needs an opportunity for uh, royalty and streaming companies to be part of the capital structure where projects look better economically and there's still an opportunity to kind of deploy capital into the
0: capital structure. What do you think um, this whole kind of crypto environment, are people being distracted by Bitcoin or are Gold bugs, Gold bugs and never the Twain shall meet?
1: It's certainly, uh, we get asked about it quite a bit. So based on that, I would say that there probably is a little bit of a distraction or cannibalization uh, of kind of the, the Gold focus is based on cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, our belief is that gold has been, uh, you know, a viable kind of currency for thousands of years. And, uh,
0: and with that kind of track record, still, uh, you know, a, a very great store of value going forward. Okay. Like, let's talk about the company here, because um, I think the macro, I think, is, yep. is the great unknown at the moment. So um, again, I might sort of go back to the beginning, because like I said, it's been a while since we, we've spoken to sort of remind people um, your experience in royalties, you know. So how many royalty transactions have you done? Mm-hmm. Well, I can start with uh, just uh, how the company came together. Uh, it was about five years ago. Jeff Burns,
1: who was our chairman, he was the CEO of Pan American Silver for 12 years. And after 12 years in that role, he decided to step down. And during the transition to the now CEO, Michael Steinman, Jeff noticed that there was a number of royalties uh, in in the Pan-American portfolio that they were receiving no value for. Uh, So he went to the chairman of Pan-American Silver at the time, Ross Beattie, suggested taking these royalties and putting them into a separate vehicle and daylighting that vehicle to surface some value, um, that wasn't being really realized in Pan-American Silver and Ross Beattie being a serial entrepreneur, about that for about two seconds, and said that's a great idea, Jeff. And Jeff, when you step down as CEO, you can uh, steward the company as chairman. Uh, so Jeff has been in the operating industry, in the mining operating industry for you know four decades approximately. He's got a, a very strong technical role decks, being able to have great relationships, being able to put together a very strong technical team. Uh, I'm an uh, Spent 10 years in investment banking before joining the mining industry myself. So I'm, I'm more of a, the finance side of the equation. And uh, while I was at uh, in the banking world, you know, our focus was exclusively on mergers and acquisitions in the mining sector, with a focus on uh, royalty in the streaming sector. So many of the initial transactions that uh, Wheaton Precious, back when they were actually called Silver Wheaton, was on. You know, we would have been uh, involved in that. And uh, Jeff uh, reached out to me based on that background and that's how the team got put together. So it's, it's been highly complementary with, uh, with the very strong technical side, which is absolutely
0: needed as well as the finance and uh, M&A side as well. So that's been uh, it's worked very well together. Okay. So tell me more about the technical assessment side of things. So are you doing it all internally or are you buying in consultants as well? It's interesting. We have a unique advantage uh, at Mavericks.
1: We do have an internal technical team, uh, obviously, Jeff as well. Uh, our large shareholders. We have uh, Newmont, Pan American Silver, and Kinross all on our registry. Uh, we actually have technical. Uh, we actually have a representative from Newmont on our board, a representative from Pan American Silver on our board, and we share a director in common with Kinross. And uh, there's very few assets in the uh, in the Americas that uh, one of those companies or someone at that those companies hasn't looked at already. And we've actually been able to, to draw upon that experience and draw upon those relationships. Uh, to the benefit of all Mavericks shareholders, including, uh, including themselves. So it's, it's actually worked out very well. That's, I would say, unique to a, to a
0: Mavericks where we are at. Right. So that's your competitive edge. You know, some people have databases, yeah. some people know people. You've, yeah. <laughs> your partners are <laughs> the competitive edge.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, one of them, I mean, well, we certainly have the databases and you know, the, uh, our, our own internal work, but it's certainly uh, an added benefit. Right. So just remind me again of the uh, overall portfolio size. Uh, so it's 115 precious metals, royalties, and streams. 13 of those are currently paying. Uh, And just for quantum of revenue, uh, our most recently financial results were Q3 2020, where we had 15 million US of revenue in that quarter at 90% cash margins. And 99% of that revenue comes from gold and silver. So, very much a precious metals focus, high margin. Uh, we are expecting to announce our financial results for the full year 2020 in the coming weeks,
0: so that will be uh, news that will be coming out from uh, from Mavericks as well. Right, and in terms of the development plays rather than the production plays, we, that I think you covered that. In terms of the development plays, how many of those have got a like 43101 on them or a resource or a reserve? Uh, we have, uh,
1: As a nature of the portfolios that we acquire, particularly from Newmont and Kinross, Goldfield and Pan American Silver, is they all had assets across the entire development spectrum, whether it's near-term development, which we have very near-term development, including a royalty on Orla's Camino Rojo, which should come on uh, production this year, uh, a royalty on uh, Bluestones, Cerro Blanco project, which just announced an updated PEA, uh, which they're expanded the size of the project, as well as mid-term assets, uh, a number of assets such as, uh, Delamar, McCoy Cove uh, in the United States. And across the Western United States, we've got uh, development assets, as well as longer-term exploration, um, as well as some some very long-dated
0: optionality assets such as a, a Royalty on Cerro Casale. So it really is across the spectrum that uh, that we do have exposure. Right, but I'm trying to get a sense of like in the next 2-years, what's, what's the cash flow yep. profile look like? Or how does it improve? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as I mentioned, uh,
1: Orla's Camino Rojo will be the next project uh, that we have coming online. Uh, another project that we have a royalty on, which was uh, shut down uh, approximately uh, just under two years ago, is Coors Silvertip project in, in Canada. Uh, they're you know talking about uh, they did some significant investment there, in improving the. The resource base, and that uh, we would expect to come back online. I think they're uh, they're talking about that now. So those would be two that would be coming on in the next uh, eighteen months. I would I would expect
0: right, and and that's because they're deploying capital for drilling programs and the RAS. So Absolutely. So you've you've got confidence over that. Absolutely, and that's across the the portfolio. As we're really
1: seeing uh, at these gold prices and at the cash flow, a lot of the the producers are making or the investments in some of the developers is. They're spending significant amount of capital in their own assets for the benefit of their own shareholders. And that's one of the, I think, core, um, model that's, uh, that really attracts, uh, investors to the royalty sector is, you know, we get that benefit without any additional cost. Uh, so we're seeing significant investment in, in the number of those assets. And we can, you can touch on a, a couple more of them, but it is across the
0: portfolio that we're seeing. I uh, would call it organic growth. Okay, but but how do you measure that? I mean, do you look at the number of uh, meters being drilled each year on your assets? Because that has a knock-on effect for you in terms of how you get valued, right?
1: Yeah, no, we look at it. It's exactly that: how much dollars are being invested. You know, how much focus it is as part of the company uh, that that is the underlying operator. But you know, yes, those would be the uh, the metrics that we would that we would focus on and monitor. Obviously, we have pretty good relationships with our. Uh, underlying operating partners, so we're talking to them constantly, getting updates on you know what their plans are. As when we're talking to our investors, we want to be able to properly articulate uh, you know what they're trying to do, uh, so we do have that, a very open dialogue
0: with our partners. Are they all public companies or do you have any private?
1: Uh, for the most part, they're public. Uh, we do have a, a Silver Stream on the El Machito mine, uh, which is in a private vehicle, uh, which uh, has had, had a good year in, in 2020.
0: Okay, and you talked about fifteen million bucks coming in this year. What are you what are you forecasting for next year and the year after?
1: Ah, uh, so that was just uh, just in Q three. It was uh, U.S. fifteen one five million Q three. Right. So that's uh, that would just be one quarter. Uh, we had a strong Q four, which we announced uh, the production results of already, uh, and we will be announcing the financial results uh, uh, upcoming.
0: What was the guidance for the
1: year? The guidance for this year is twenty seven gotcha. to thirty thousand gold equivalent ounces. Uh, and at a margin of approximately ninety percent, so it's uh, it's relatively easy math to uh, to yeah. pick your goal price that you want to assume, got it, uh, and then and then and figure it out from there.
0: And at some, when do you usually issue guidance for the following year? How do we get a sense of what you think this growth profile looks like? Certainly, well, we've announced uh,
1: guidance for 2021. Uh, We're still waiting for our underlying operators to really communicate to the market themselves, uh, as as we don't want to, I guess, so front run our our partners on on what we think. But uh, you know, it's certainly uh, you know we do see a lot of growth. Another asset in the portfolio is a a royalty on Gemfield. That one is private as well. Uh, It's held by a a company called Waterton, which is private equity. Uh, That's an asset that's fully shovel ready. We expect uh, that to potentially go into a public vehicle, which would uh, uh, be a pause for Mavericks and another asset that could potentially come online in the next couple of years.
0: and do you, I mean, how, what does it look like in terms of you know uh, resource only or reserves only, and you know how much do you include exploration in there? I mean, how do you, how do you go about breaking down the numbers for the market to actually understand? Because it's yeah. very complex. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and for people to do well, peer I'm analysis, sure. it's hard.
1: Yes, no, of course, and especially with uh, with over hundred assets, uh, it is on our website uh, www.mavericksmetals.com. We do have an asset handbook uh, which outlines every single asset that we own in terms of whether it's a reserve stave or resource stage. We found that to be a very handy guide uh, for people just looking to get a quick sense of who owns this asset, where in the world it is, and uh, you know what
0: what what stage of development at. But you know what I mean? Like I, I know brokers who can who couldn't be bothered to look at that. And do the work <laughs> so yeah. you know for the average retail family office I mean what, what are the numbers that you think they should be looking at certainly with, with the cost of your company I, I think the the first and foremost is cash flow
1: um, you know we do have a very strong cash flow in base right now um, so that is uh, you know very clear Uh, And then I guess I would say that the the near term development assets uh, some of the ones that we highlight in our presentation, which can also be found on on the website. Um, You know, particularly in the, the Western United States, we have a very strong Portfolio of, of upcoming assets and over the next you know, one to five years where uh, they could potentially start contributing to the uh, the Mavericks portfolio.
0: Right. And so, obviously, early days for you with some of these uh, royalties. So, there's not yeah. a lot of drop off anytime soon, and there's new projects coming on. But do you expect this to be sort of an upward trend in terms of the cash flow? Is that what you're hoping for?
1: Certainly, and that's that's what we've seen since uh since we started in, in 2016. I think we had just under uh, 2,000 geos in uh, in 2016. Uh, in 2017, we had 11,000 gold equivalent ounces geos. 2018 around 20, and 2019 in around 23, and and uh, 29,000 ounces in uh, in 2020. So it has been a very much an upward trajectory. Um, you know, we see with just how many uh, royalties we have on development assets right now. It's just a you know the optionality is is very deep in the portfolio.
0: Right, and what's the you talked earlier on about organic growth? Obviously, that's cheaper because you know not much more money needs to be spent. You're not buying, you're not wasting money buying things, expensive things at the moment as well. Um, what's that as a percentage of growth going forward for you? it's hard
1: to put an exact percentage on it uh, as i mentioned you know we don't speak exactly for our counterparties we wait till uh, till they announce their guidance but you know in terms of the the assets you know i mentioned a number of them but just to recap it's you know Gemfield Delamar we have royalties on Railroad Hasbrook uh, McCoico Motherlode uh Camino Rojo which is obviously coming into production Cerro Blanco which had some recent news uh, so it is a kind of across the, uh, that, that next wave of assets that come on. So it's you know it's hard to pinpoint exactly what, what exact date and which one will come first. Just that uh,
0: having that exposure across uh, kind of a suite of assets provides that diversification. And how do you keep yourselves in check? Because again, we look at some of the Royalty Company statements out there and they're, they're claiming revenues on assets which haven't even got a resource yet in the next 2-years. You're <laughs> like, well, that's aggressive. To put it mildly. Yes. So, how do you keep yourselves in check? What are the, the 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 series of probabilities that you need to sort of see or uh, or need to have in place before you'll make statements to the market?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a great question. Um, part of this comes from uh, how we were created out of uh, Pan American Silver. And as I mentioned, we've got a representative from Pan American Silver on our board, from Newmont, uh, Chair Director of Kinross. These are kind of large, conservative companies in terms of what they throw out, <laughs> in terms of their guidance. So, that's been a good uh, good fit uh, on the, a corporate governance side, particularly with Jeff being the CEO of Pan American for 12-years. I think. Uh, you know the internal controls at management, uh, as well as the uh, kind of that uh, that very strong board is. Uh, you know, I think we lean. If you look at the performance that Mavericks has had relative to our guidance each year, uh, we've done quite strongly uh, relative to to what we've put out to the market. And I think that looking back as to what we said before, as to what we did, I think that's a very good uh, good thing for investors to look at uh, in terms of you know the track record that we
0: have. And, and what are, what are those things? What are those? Um Value sensitive organic catalysts that's a lot of words. Yeah. Uh, that you look for, you know, at what point do you get comfort? Because, you know, is it at PEA stage, feasibility stage? Are there, you know, specific operator guidances that you need to see before you make a step? And I appreciate all of this. You've got so your portfolio yeah. is so big, you can't get specific yeah. on any one thing. Yeah. So, I'm just looking for a broad attitude to how you treat the numbers.
1: Yeah, a broad attitude, I would say, would be conservative. Um, From a cash flow perspective, uh, we do have 13 paying assets. Uh, None of the individual assets make up more than 15% of revenue. So it is highly diversified. So, in terms of, you know, for a conservative on individual assets, you know, the entire portfolio, you know, there tends to be either positive surprises, at least somewhere in there. Uh, At least that's what we've experienced historically. And that's led to a pretty attractive.
0: Uh, production results relative to our initial guidance, but I would say conservative would be the… Kind of okay, the so rain, see that's that's, right. okay, that's the takeaway. So, and again, just sticking on the organic basis so just a little bit longer, so organic versus transactional, what would it be as a percentage going forward? Well, it's always, uh,
1: one, we have, we have a significant amount of existing organic already. So that, that is, you know, we don't have to pay anything more for that. That's already in the portfolio. Uh, we own it and it's a, a simple upside to, to us at no additional cost. In terms of transactions, uh, you know, we're very disciplined, uh, in terms of looking at like new acquisitions. Our most recent acquisition was a second portfolio from Newmont in Q4. Uh, so that was a, a $75 million transaction. Adding uh, uh, more than ten development uh, gold royalties into the portfolio. That's one where we had a, a unique relationship with Newmont, who is already a twenty percent shareholder. Uh, they increased their stake to thirty uh, percent. So that was, uh, you know, uh, we very much appreciate the, you know, their support and endorsement of the Maverick strategy. So that was a bit of a unique one. When we look at, um, you know, competing in in auctions, so to speak, of, of royalties, uh, you know, we're seeing a couple things. We are seeing the returns on some of the larger transactions uh, begin to decrease a little bit. Uh, and certainly it's not a maverick strategy to try and compete with Franco Nevada or Wheaton Precious on uh, multi hundred dollar transactions that at uh, at very competitive uh, situations. We have been very active in the under U.S. 100 million dollar range. Uh, that's something where it moves the needle for a Mavericks, but doesn't necessarily uh, be the main focus of, of some of the larger players. And that's where we're seeing uh, some nice returns. And that's where our focus
0: is. And are you happy with the sort of cash on cash returns of the current portfolio, or do you think it's you're waiting for future growth? No, actually, there's actually a page in our presentation that speaks about
1: the uh, the, the cash on cash returns we've experienced to date. Uh, we have had uh, you know very positive return on investments both through the improved, uh, the increase in gold price since we acquired a number of the royalties, as well as uh, expanded production, expanded resource base, uh, expanded investments into those assets. So, you know, we've seen very strong returns
0: uh, in the investments we've made to date. Is that sustainable? Uh, we hope so. <laughs> we believe so. <laughs> That's the plan. <laughs> okay, and, and um, so, how are you trading versus your cash flow? Again, we, we've had conversations this week, and people. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, you know what they would say. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we talked about this earlier
1: a little bit uh, uh, in terms of uh, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between some of the gold equities with strong cash flow and the actual gold price itself. So, you know, you could consider us in the in a similar, uh, I guess, camp as most of the other CEOs you've talked to. That's for sure. We have had. Uh, you know, just uh, in terms of recent Mavericks news, um, we did have a, a large focus on one of our royalties, which is on uh, the Hope Bay project in northern Canada. It was going through a very interesting M and A situation, which ultimately resulted in Ignico Eagle just recently acquiring that royalty. And that was a, I would say a, a big focus of some investors as to what that outcome was ultimately going to be. It's a very positive outcome for Mavericks uh, with Agnico stepping in. Uh, we believe there'll be a, a, a significant investment uh, by Agnico, very experienced operators in, in that uh, part of the world. Uh, so that I think is, is with the with the clarity of that, I think that was going to be a major catalyst that hasn't necessarily been reflected yet. Another piece of news, which actually just got announced Friday, uh, very exciting for us, is the GDXJ index um, has uh, included Mavericks for the rebalance, and that actually. Uh, should be in the next uh, week or so, where they actually do the formal rebalancing. And I think that would be a, another big catalyst is is being involved. That would be the first kind of major index that Mavericks would be involved in. So we do have a, you know, a recent catalyst and an upcoming catalyst that I think will be very exciting for investors. So in terms of where we're trading, we look historically at other companies that have been added to the GDXJ, and they've performed very strong on the back of that acquisition of uh, of shares by the index. So that is something that's uh, that we're pretty uh, pretty excited about coming uh, coming up pretty soon here. And what else have you got to do? Uh, well, you know, we look at uh, at increased cash flow. Um, we'll, we put a dividend in place just over a year ago of US one penny per share per quarter. Uh, since that time, our balance sheet has improved with cash flow. Uh, with higher metal prices and it's something that we'd absolutely uh, talk to our board about uh, in terms of whether or not that's something that uh, that we uh, p- could potentially increase we have looked at other companies seeing uh, seeing increases um, Newmont one of our uh, largest shareholders obviously had a recent uh, dividend increase so that's something I think that we would we would focus on as well and then uh, it's just growth in the portfolio whether it's through the organic growth which we already have and uh, Camino Rojo coming on later this year, as well as potential acquisitions, which we're always uh, on the hunt for.
0: Right. But what, what do you think is going to move the dial most? You know, d- d- penny dividend per quarter is nice. Dividend paying is nice, better than not. But what are yeah. the big, big things that you've got to do? Because it seems to be you put out good news all the time and it's yeah. just kind of <laughs> gone uh, flat, where you, you kind of reach the yeah. size and it gets harder to grow. It gets harder to tell a growth story and it's even harder for yeah. people to believe it because they're looking at all of these wannabes beneath yep. you 50 to 100 million bucks you've got better leverage and that's where where the eye seem to be going do you have to get more institutions on board is GDxD the first step for you? The GDXJ is a big step. Uh, you know, we saw it when we listed on the New York Stock
1: Exchange. We saw a big pick, which we did um, just over a year and a half ago. Uh, we saw a significant increase in our liquidity and our liquidity is still like, not exactly where we want it to be. And I think that's what the GDXJ could potentially unlock. Uh, just raising the, the capital markets profile of Mavericks. Uh, it's, it is forced buying. So there will be buying from the GDXJ to, to rebalance as well as uh, that liquidity. And I think that will be a, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, you know, a big step for the company and potential to uh, to
0: unlock some pretty significant uh, kind of equity price returns. Right, and do you th- feel you need to go a little bit more global with the message too? because it, you know, again, we look at you you're not quite there yet in terms of being one of the big four guys. Yeah, but you've got the potential to be um, your precious metal focus, which seems to tick a lot of boxes. Too, but do you, do you feel you're reaching all the right people that you need to? Because it's it's a tough question right now because of
1: obviously the the travel restrictions globally. Uh, it's kind of changed the dynamic uh, with respect to kind of COVID protocols in place. It is something that we absolutely want to focus on as a company growing. Um, you know, so we're it's it is a little different uh, doing the, the conferences over uh, Zoom, so to speak. Uh, but I, you know, hopefully hopefully you know there's a you know a global change on that uh, you know for everyone's sake um, you know coming up but but yes the, the question is we do need to uh, to continue to grow the registry uh, we did see last year Pan American Silver had uh, had warrants uh, that they received in 2016 that were about to expire this year they exercised those warrants and then placed that block of shares to a number of institutions uh, while actually, um, you know, putting money into the company as well. Uh, we saw with those institutions that came onto the registry, some very big names. That was a, a big strength for us and did increase the liquidity. Uh, so those are steps that I think are, are natural and, and will come uh, as we continue to, to kind of build and mature. But it has been a significant growth so far. If we look at our liquidity now versus where it was 18 months ago, dramatically changed. And I think there's another uh, step forward with the index inclusion on the DDXJ coming up.
0: Do you think that you've got the right model? We look at some what some royalty companies and stream companies have tried to do is just change things up a bit and perhaps add a little bit different types of revenue streams to to the story. Yeah, so we're uh, you know we have a very simple model I'll
1: call it uh, in terms of how we want to build the portfolio, how we want to explain it. As I mentioned, we're ninety nine percent precious metals, gold and silver. You know we are always going to be a heavy precious metals. We're not. Uh, It's going to go too far afield in terms of uh, different um, metals, that is our our, our focus. With the amount of development that we have in the portfolio already in terms of existing royalties on near-term, mid-term and later stage uh, development projects, we're looking more to add cash-flowing assets. Uh, So we're looking at things that are either producing or with a clear path to production um, you know, many reasons for that increasing the, the cash flow engine. It is a different risk profile as well, you know, how well defined both the cash and the timeline is. And then from the geography perspective as well is, you know, the predominance of our uh, Royalty revenue comes from Canada, the United States, Australia and Mexico. Uh, so it is, I would call it a, a straightforward portfolio. In terms of uh, buybacks or caps, we, we don't have any caps on any of our royalties. Uh, we don't have any buybacks anymore. We actually had one partial buyback, which was on the Hope Bay royalty, which Nikko exercised when they acquired it. But with that, when, which brought proceeds of fifty million dollars uh, to Mavericks to our bank account for a forty million dollar investment, um, plus the cash flow that we had received to date. Uh, but we do have a very clean portfolio in terms of um, no buybacks, uh, no caps. We don't have any uh, I would call it, offshore tax structures. Um, you know, we do have. Uh, a Canadian, Australian, and U.S. subsidiary that do have uh, purchase price allocations to to manage that tax, but we don't have any offshore entities. It is a, I will call it a very straightforward existing portfolio. That uh, that message has generally been well received. It's easy to explain. It's easy to understand. And I think we're going to continue to uh, to focus on that. Um, just and this is a function of size as well. Is is where we are at as a uh, precious metal royalty company at. As I mentioned, 700 million dollar market cap. Now there are still opportunities to grow uh, without having to get too creative. Uh, we don't have any interest in uh, in picking up direct mining assets, whether it's uh, a mine itself or a joint venture. We will stick purely with the with the royalty and streaming model. But we have seen, uh, you know, at certain sizes, is uh, you know companies getting more creative to to build a portfolio, um, and then you know they they've done. Uh, you know, a different different strategy than what we're doing. We do get asked. Well, ultimately, if you get big enough, are you going to have to face those same questions and go into that same uh, direction? And our our kind of comment to that as well. That's at least a triple away from now, so we'll cross that bridge when we get there, and that'd be a, a good problem to have. But certainly, with where we're at right now, we are starting to we are we do we do see opportunities to kind of grow in a in a more. Uh,
0: Simple strategy. Okay, so that's focus, focus, focus. I get it. Just one more question, and it's really about how you guys think and operate. When I spoke to Ryan last year, you were in the middle of doing a transaction with um, Carora, as is now RNC Minerals, I think was the the company. And that seemed to go on forever. Those discussions went on forever. Um, And and you got something over the line. Were you happy with the deal? Absolutely. It's just one where uh, so, what we did with Corora was uh,
1: it was a 7.5% Royalty uh, on the Gold. Uh, we lowered that to 4.75%. Uh, that was a 18 million dollars that that came into Mavericks for that transaction. Uh, this is one where we do see ourselves as, as operating partners uh, with Corora. Uh, 7.5% is a very high uh, Royalty on the, on the primary product. Uh, lowering that to 4.75%, it seems to be a win-win where they're able to uh, essentially, get after exploration significantly more, and they've done a, a tremendous job there. Uh, but being able to uh, allow them to kind of unlock that exploration potential by doing a, a win win transaction, I think, uh, I think it'll work out for both sides
0: eventually. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they, they, they're doing very well. Yeah. Okay. Right. Brilliant. Um, Dan, appreciate your time today. Fantastic run through. I like the simple messaging um, here. It's very clear what you're trying to do. Um, Wish you well. Stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Sounds like there's a lot of stuff coming through. It's exciting. I appreciate uh, you having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, CruxInvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.